Hello and welcome to the official Belvoir podcast. Belvoir are, of course, the UK's leading property, mortgage and franchise group. Now, the world of property is rarely out of the headlines these days. Interest rates, property prices, buy-to-let, green belt, what is a sound investment? And, of course, that controversial piece of legislation, the Renters' Reform Bill. There are thought to be 11 million tenants in England and how landlords can evict them is now central to what the government claims is a once-in-a-generation set of reforms on renting. Michael Gove, the Housing Secretary for England, he's introducing a bill which would abolish what's called no-fault evictions. No-fault evictions will be scrapped and that will give tenants the confidence to stand up for their rights more, to complain if they're living in a house which is unsafe. Belvoir are, of course, the UK's leading property, mortgage and franchise group. This is episode two of a special. It's all about the renters' reform bill. And in conversation on this are two people who know this industry and this area as well as anyone can. Dorian Gonzalez is the chief executive officer at Belvoir and Grace Millam is the group operations director. And they continue their discussion on that controversial renters reform bill the landlord ombudsman again you know has had quite a quite a big reaction from some landlords who are quite worried about a new regulator sort of or this is what it seems to be like a new regulator appearing above um, private landlords but just to be clear you know an ombudsman scheme as i understand it and i did spend a number of years on a board of a, an ombudsman scheme um so i've had you know an intimate sort of understanding of it an ombudsman isn't a regulator, you know, an ombudsman is there to help address consumer complaints, ultimately. And, and, and if memory serves, I'm going to scratch my head for a second to remember the dates on this one. Um, but if you are an estate agent, you've had to give your clients access to a, a redress scheme, i.e. an ombudsman since 2007. If you are a letting agent, or if you are a landlord using a letting agent, your agent will have had to give access to an ombudsman scheme um, free of charge since 2014. So it isn't something with my hat on and your hat on, Grace. I guess it's not something that particularly phases us at all because we've lived with this regime for, you know, getting close to a decade. So it's not and longer than that on a state agency. So it doesn't phase us. But, you know, why is it sort of, why is the thought of this phasing some people and not others? And what do we think the sort of effect, you know, the long-term effect of, of having an ombudsman will have on the sector? I think the fear is that if they have a route they haven't had before, that everybody will complain about everything. That isn't actually the reality because most of us are quite lazy when it comes to filling out forms and things. And whilst it's free, you still have to go to the effort of doing it. And the ombudsman that we have, and I'm sure it'll be the same with the landlords, is you'll have to complain to the landlords or the agent first. And actually, I welcome it because you've got a, a, a position then between a complaint, which you can settle or not, and legal proceedings and no one wants to go to legal proceedings and spend money so if there's a free mechanism of an arbitrator or not free for for, for landlords but won't be be particularly expensive a lot cheaper than than the legal route then again if you're you know trying to run things by the book and you've just ended up in a a dispute unfortunately I welcome an ombudsman ruling. Yeah interesting so it it introduces an element of fairness doesn't it on on, on whether we like it or not you know whether people like it or not it introduces an element of fairness and if somebody somewhere that thinks they haven't been treated fairly they can complain to an ombudsman service and the ombudsman ultimately will make a judgment on one side or the other. That's the you know, typically how an ombudsman works. But again, if 
you are flying below the radar in terms of you know safety elements, the way the tenancies, then then you will be frightened to death about that particular change. But ultimately, I think my, my, my personal view is that if you are using an agent already, then don't worry, you know, you, your agent has been giving access to an ombudsman scheme for almost 10 years, you know, it's just absolutely nothing to worry about on that side, um, unless you haven't been used to sitting within the sort of the correct um, regulatory framework, which ultimately is why one of the reasons why decision makers are doing what they're doing with the rent reform bill, um, it is to to improve standards, whether we agree or whether we you know like that or not. I think they're always an intended consequence of any 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 sort of bit of regulation like this. But some parts of the bill I actually think will be quite helpful. And I think some parts of the bill will be more of a hindrance until we fully understand exactly how, how they're going to work. I think the vital thing around this is for the legislation to be absolutely clear and not have grey areas. And that's not just within the language of the Section 8 notices, because if landlords have clear evidentiary routes to a tenant moving out of the property if they need them because there has been an issue, then there is no you know, huge concern here and there shouldn't be. The second part to that is not only are they clear on, on how these evictions can take place and what evidentiary grounds are needed, but also that there is a reasonable time frame for the courts to act on those. And you know that is the, the key point around this legislation. And it was um, brought up by um, the consultation at the last fifth, the fifth committee meeting on the renters reform bill just before it came out that all of the rest of this it it can work it is you know it, for me it is not the end of the world as an agent i can see how we can manage this very easily for landlords but you do need to be able to get those properties back if there is a clear issue and you need to know what the guidelines for that are so that you can have some element of certainty remember when you look at the section 8 um, grounds quite a lot of them are mandatory still so if you've got that level of ed- evidence you will get the eviction some are discretionary but there's still lots of mandatory grounds there so again it's it's more scaremongering um, in in the headlines than the reality that's interesting. Also, if you are, because it's, it's all very negative, isn't it, talking, or it can be very negative talking about, you know, end of tenancy evictions and, and that sort of thing. But ultimately, if there's some sort of credit reference at the start of a tenancy, which in, in lots of cases there isn't, agents do it generally, private landlords generally don't, then that can prevent or help prevent sort of late rent arrears um, further down the track. There will also be a proliferation of sort of new products. I think we're going to come on to um, come on to pets in a second, which can be quite an emotive thing um, um, from a landlord's um, perspective. In fact, let's let's talk about that now. What, what about the sort of again? This was highlighted by the press as soon as the bill sort of went through Parliament, and it's the ability for tenants to have pets in properties. Is that what it is, Grace, or is it sort of is that just the headline? What's the detail behind it? The rule is going to be that a tenant can request a pet. So it's a bit like um, they tried to bring in with a model tenancy a year or two ago, which wasn't law. So we knew this was the way it was moving. So the tenant must be allowed to request a pet. And there is a prescribed process of a landlord going back within a certain time frame and saying why they accept it, if if they accept it, or why they refuse it if they do so. And then there is a time frame to appeal on that um, consent. It's a re, they need to have a reasonable 
reason to refuse. And apart from an example being given of, for example, a head lease not allowing pets, which would be acceptable, we don't know what the other reasonable uh, reasons for refusal are. And whilst that's not been legislative so far, you know, when, when you have a tenancy agreement currently where a consent is required, um, it is sort of interpreted into that, that 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 would should be a reasonable a reasonable reason to refuse. So yes, it's a, you know a great move for people with pets. I'm a landlord. I've always allowed pets in my property because I have pets. I didn't quite expect to have the sort of 27 pets I've got in one property, but um, you know, <laughs> each to their own. And I do, you know, I feel strongly people should be able to live in these properties. Um, you know, as they wish, as long as the landlord is protected. So yes, they have a right to request it. You can give reasonable refusal um, of consent and lots of that will only come out in court when it, when it's tested. And then you can insist they're saying on this pet insurance, which will give some comfort because under the tenant fee ban, we couldn't take extra deposits for pets. And we couldn't insist on an insurance because that would have been a, a, um, a forbidden payment. So that will be interesting. What is key is that those policies are very comprehensive and I'm not sure the ones on the market would give landlords the full satisfaction at the moment of all the elements of potential damage being covered. So you know, hopefully that's an area of the market will then swiftly move in to, to answer those concerns. Do you know that could be a, an idea for a podcast in future actually because it is, it is such a big subject isn't it you know sort of um, but it's for, for these new products to become available the regulations and the legislation needs to be made clear first of all and then right. the products will follow shortly after so that's kind of a you know something that, that's moving and, and, and evolving do we think grace you know we've got you know different opinions I, I happen to share your opinion on pets you know as a landlord i've always allowed tenants to have pets you know within reason in properties and i haven't ever had as many as 27 and presumably <laughs> you're talking about stick insects rather than shetland ponies oh, but, um, snakes dogs bulldogs all sorts all, all, all sorts of different <laughs> things but ultimately you know, my, in my experience you know yes there might be more wear and tear on a property but ultimately we, we tend to find that tenants do stay longer you know in properties when landlords decide to allow pets but i think this change is happening whether we like it or not so i think the message here is that there will be protections in place but just watch this space and you know we'll keep you updated as um as things change and as new products become available yeah, and hopefully there will be better guidelines. So we would like, ideally, a list of, you know, a decent list of reasons. For example, you know, you don't have to accept a giant dog in a one-bedroom flat because that wouldn't be appropriate for the animal either. And I'm, I'm expecting there to be lots of advice coming from animal charities and, and other elements as, as kind of what, you know, what reasonable looks like. But um, hopefully that will, will evolve. There will also be a, a sort of a new element covering property standards. But as I understand it, that hasn't been sort of clarified yet. So that's not going to sort of form part of the uh, of the initial bill. So I think we'll skirt over that for now unless you've got anything to add on that yeah just to say we know it's likely to, to to be around this decent home standard which is in the social housing sector but not ours and remember we've already got health and safety housing rating system which is very similar um, but doesn't go quite as far so we're hoping that they will combine that not have three or four different um, elements we've got to comply with but they will bring that into to one so yes they haven't got the detail of that yet and how much that might be modified but uh, so we we watch that watch the watch the space on that one and in terms of you know, you sort of can't pick up a newspaper at the minute or, or read a, you know, a, a, an online newsletter, news website without reading about landlords exiting from the sector. And, you know, I, I sat with a group of people um, last week and the first question I had at the end of the sort of group meeting, um, somebody asked me a technical question and then they said, oh, oh well, the sector is shrinking, Dorian. And I said, well, is it? You know, I said, if you look at the, the actual figures, um, the sector has increased in size over the last two years and the private rented sector has around the same number of properties in England now as it did back in 2016. You know, broadly speaking, the sector is about the same size. 
The figures that I tend to look at are uh, English Housing Survey. I think that's probably the best source, but that only runs sort of financial year. So therefore, what we're not sure about is whether there was sort of you know a larger sell-off of, of rented properties in in the second half of last year. Um, the, the stats only run to sort of March March twenty twenty two. I suspect not. Um, I, I think that you know as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I think that generally people react quite badly to potential changes until they start to understand them. And I think it's conversations with people like us, it's listening to podcasts, it's looking on forums, will help landlords to get a better understanding of of the impacts of, of the rental reform bill. And it may not be as we've pointed out, you know, during this this podcast, it's they're not actually as, as serious as people might think. You know, one, something is being replaced with something else, but actually, you know, the more things change, the more things stay the same um, quite often. And, you know, in my experience, changes like this tend to have, you know, a fairly limited impact. Um, and some of the changes, some of the uh, the impacts, you know, could in theory be quite positive. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, when I think about this from my personal perspective as a landlord, I am not sure where else I'd find as a safer option to put to put my investments um but um but aside from that i think you're right i think it's the language of the press um who and, the, and the, you know the the language coming from government who let's face it you know want to need to win votes um that i think is is the most frightening piece when you actually look at the bones of what's here and what's really changing in terms of the stats and you know the number of as you say section 21 notices and the ones that actually wouldn't be covered by the section 8 route and let's not kid ourselves, Section 21 notices have taken a long time to go through court for the last you know, decade. So I do think that when you, you know, when you, what you say, when you talk with people who understand the bill, it isn't as frightening as it seems. And if we get that clarity, the, the main unintended consequence, I think, that we're all worried about here, and I agree with you that whilst there are some landlords that are being put off, it seems to be the ones kind of coming in, is that the tenants are, you know, are already having a bit of a supply issue, and we've got to make sure that things aren't made harder for them. And I'm a little bit concerned about the tenants that kind of are on the periphery of uh, passing referencing. With these measures of landlords being a bit more nervous about being able to serve notice, and with having periodic tenancies where it's going to be more of a struggle to get guarantors to actually um, be held for uh, the, the length of the tenancies, um, and there's a question mark, Dorian, over whether how much rent we can take up front, are those people going to find it harder to find properties as as landlords and, and agents have to be a little bit more careful? So, you know, the government does have to be very careful that the the intention to make life better um, doesn't unintentionally um, uh, you know make life a little bit harder, which is you know, absolutely not what any of us want. Yeah. And just to pick up on something you just said, I think the careful management of, of a property and careful management of a tenancy, I think, is probably the key to this um, going forward. You know, we, we all accept, you know, it's obvious to everybody that there is a supply issue in terms of there are more people looking to rent than there are properties to rent. <laughs> you know, it's it's just as simple, you know, it's as simple as that. Um, so the sector itself, in terms of the number of rental properties, as I said earlier, that hasn't particularly changed, but the number of properties available to rent is far fewer now than it was 12 months ago. And what we're seeing is that, you know, average UK rents are still going up. So, you know, outside of London, um, the average rent is just over a thousand pounds, and and inside um, the M25, average rents are now just over two thousand pounds a month. You know that's significant. Um, interestingly, although it's got a different regime, um, Scotland saw the largest increase, the annual increase in in rents at thirteen point four percent higher than it was twelve months ago. So you have to, I think, the, your point being, Grace, is that you've got to be careful about how much you change. 
because ultimately some of these changes could result in a supply issue. And ultimately, if, if properties are in shorter supply, tenants will have to pay more for them. That's not driven by the landlord. That's driven by a lack of supply. But um, Interesting. So leading on to sort of rent increases there, because... I don't know about you, but anecdotally, and sort of as, as acting as agent, it wasn't the ability of a landlord to put the rent up because the market rent was increasing. Landlords were putting rent up because their costs were going up, not because they wanted more money to make more money. They were just trying to cover those off. And um, part of the bill, um, there is a section on rent increases. And they are now um, not going to be able to be set into the contract in terms of CPI rent increases. And the mechanism is going to be what's called a Section 13 notice, so a specific prescribed notice that you you, you put in to increase the rent um, once every 12 months as a maximum. There has actually always been, and this is another one that's sort of a bit mistold out there, there has actually always has been the right under a Section 13 notice to go to a first tier tribunal and challenge that rent. But because all of the rent increases will now be done by Section 13. There's a fear that everyone's going to kind of go to the, the tribunal. But the, the tribunal is allowed to set it at the market rent. So they don't, they shouldn't be forcing you to set it below market rent. They just assess what the market rent is. Um, so it's, again, that's another one where the headlines are, you know, fearing that we're going to have every single tenant going to the first tier tribunal. But it, it simply won't be the case. And it will settle down just as it used to do when we used to refer things to the rent tenancies to tribunals. So you know, another one that can sound frightening, but reasonable rent increases to market rent, you know, will, will be the norm. And, um, and ultimately, you know, having someone like you in, in a landlord's corner is very helpful to, to sort of guide through, you know, these changes that are happening. Um, so, you know, a couple of clear messages there that the changes aren't quite as serious as maybe the press is sort of making them out to be. Hopefully, we've sort of debunked some of the myths about the, um, <laughs> I'll say some of the myths. You know, <laughs> ultimately, the bill isn't in its final format and it's still yeah. got, you know, quite a distance to go. Um, so, you know, maybe we can have a sort of more podcasts as it, as it evolves over time. I was just thinking, actually, guys, that uh, next year there might be another government. So uh, there could be the new Renters Reform Act. <laughs> so. There could, and interestingly, lots of the elements, even in this draft, is, have been left to new regulations, which obviously would leave scope open. But we can only deal with the challenges we've got uh, in front of us, can't we? That's Indeed. it. So what you're saying really is, Ian, just when you thought it was safe to go in the water, there might be a second coming of the Renters Reform Bill. <laughs> Absolutely right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's much more material still to come, and I'm sure there's loads more to discuss on this this very specific area. Dorian and Grace, we will speak on the next episode. Thanks ever so much. Thanks, Anne. And a reminder, more information on Belvoir, it's belvoirgroup.com. Uh, that is it for this special episode. We are back soon with another instalment of the Belvoir official podcast. Belvoir.